Well, good morning. Uh, one of the uh, conversations Terry and I have quite a bit um, since COVID began, but I suppose not just since COVID began, is how much longer do I want to bear this particular burden? Um, it was our conversation uh, on the way here in the car a little bit too, and uh, and sometimes it feels like silly conversation because the Lord's put us in this role and we should embrace it. Uh, but Matt, I do appreciate uh, your encouragement along those lines. It was a singular and strange joy to get to lead through COVID. Um, and as anybody who's led anything at any time in their life uh, can understand what that statement probably means. Um, but we are excited uh, to be with you today. As Matt shared, my name's Brian Farone. I serve as district superintendent for EFCA's North Central District, and I'm going to spend uh, a little bit of time today together here with my wife, Terry, who's here with me. She'd love to meet you after service if you'd like to say hello to her, too. I'm going to spend a little time talking about the family of churches that you're a part of, just a little bit of time uh, sharing about uh, our family of churches. And then with most of my time today, I want to open a passage in God's Word that uh, became one of my favorites and one of the most important to me during these last uh, three years, I think it's so instructive as we seek to uh, move forward by faith and think about uh, the years that we've been through to examine the passage that we're going to look at in a little bit. But before we do that, let me just uh, share a few things about our family of churches. Uh, The North Central District of the EFCA is part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And as you see on the screens, there are about 170 congregations here, mostly in Minnesota. There's one in Osceola, Wisconsin that has to tolerate our picture looking like Minnesota and not Wisconsin. Um, But most of them are here in Minnesota, 170 sister congregations. They're scattered all over from places like Grand Marais uh, to Thief River Falls, from places in southwestern Minnesota like Wyndham and Worthington to, to uh, Rochester area, and then, and then about 60 here in the broader Twin Cities metro, sister congregations uh, for your congregation. There's about uh, 1,600 congregations in the Evangelical Free Church of America scattered all across the nation, places like Hawaii and Alaska too. Um, so we're about 10% more or less of the denomination. As, as you know, if you you've ever been driving down 494 and you've looked to your right, our national headquarters is right before you get to uh, the Mall of America. So our denomination was started here. It's headquartered here. um, And there's a lot of free churches here. And then as you can probably guess, and I would guess this is true of your congregation, we are a movement that's committed to worldwide missions. And so we have uh, 650 more or less, about 550 right now, uh, missionaries scattered across the globe. And these churches and these missionaries do the same thing that you do. They uh, preach the gospel. They reach the lost. They shepherd the found. They worship the Lord. They, they rest and depend on the gospel of Jesus Christ just like you do. They're brothers and sisters on mission with you. Another thing I like to show when I visit a congregation like yours is kind of our, our sort of our family picture, if you will. Um, all those dots are where all the churches are, more or less. That's a pretty accurate uh, picture. Your dot is probably just like in the sea of dots there in the Twin City part of the, of the picture. But we are really a family of churches on mission here in Minnesota. Um, all we do, people often ask, what does a superintendent do? And the short answer is we serve people. We serve people. We serve pastors, we serve church leaders, and we serve congregations like yours. Our goal is to help your congregation and your leaders be fruitful, uh, be joyful. Candidly, I will say, um, you can wonder in a role like mine, what is the goal? 
is the goal to help Matt be fruitful, your elders be fruitful, your other staff be fruitful. We like to think more in these terms, and this became even clearer for us during COVID. Uh, Our ambition is for the spiritual health and growth of your church leaders. We want them to be alive in Christ. We want them to flourish in their dependence on him. We want them to know and live the gospel. And so on the one hand, yes, we hope that they bear fruit, but we're much, much, much more ambitious for their spiritual life, for their trust and dependence and walk with Christ than we are for anything they might accomplish uh, for us. And I say that in part, so Matt, you would know it, and so that you would know that's how we care for your leaders. I also say it because I know it's how your pastor and leaders think about you. They want you to be alive in Christ. They want you to grow in your faith. Sure, they want you to serve and reach and accomplish things for Jesus, but, but the gospel is first and foremost about us putting our hope in him, not about anything we would do as a result of that hope that comes. That's a big part of what we do, and, and I want to take a moment now just to pause and say thanks. Um, your congregation and congregations like yours are the reason we get to do this ministry. You know, I never, when I came to faith uh, through Young Life, I'm a first-generation Christian, I never in a million years imagined that this would be the call of my life, um, let alone in this place. I grew up in Arizona where we don't own things like jackets, like we don't, we don't have them. We don't, who needs them? Um, but uh, without your support and provision and encouragement, uh, I would not, and the team that I lead would not be able to do what is the burning passion of our life, which is help the church by serving leaders. A couple other pictures you need to see. Um, You could probably guess 170 churches is not an individual sport. Uh, It's a team sport, and I'm blessed to serve alongside a team of 12 um, with literally hundreds of years of experience uh, serving churches and church leaders. And this is our staff. Many of you, your elders and leaders especially, know these people. Uh, They are experts in what they do for the church, whether it's church planting or pastoral care or placement or doctrine or whatever the expertise might be. But they, more than that, they love the gospel. They are a real part of a local church. So they're, they're people serving alongside you and they're here to help you. One other picture I'll like, I'd like to show before I pray and we jump into God's word is our board of directors. Likewise, without these people, uh, men and women from evangelical free churches all across uh, Minnesota, uh, we couldn't exercise our ministry either. And so our staff, uh, our staff of 12, our board, uh, some of them live pretty close to here. Some of them are a little farther away. Uh, they serve alongside and serve together with me and the others in our district to help churches like you. So that's a little bit about who we are. And uh, if you want to have, if you have questions or would like to ask more, as you can guess, I can go on and on and on about this. This is what I do. Um, But I won't do that because that's not why we're here. But I'd love to talk to you afterwards if you're curious about our denomination, our family of churches and how it functions and what we're about. Moving forward to why we are here, um, we're going to open the Bible together and look at a passage in Hebrews 11 that I think will be a blessing for you today. Before we do that, I want to invite you to just take a minute with me, uh, bow your heads, uh, still your heart, and let's pray that God would speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we pause We slow down. Uh, We ask, Lord, that you would get our hearts into a place where we can hear. Lord, we came into this room today, so many of us, with burdens. Uh, Some large, some small. Um, 
Some of us, Lord, are in a difficult spot. Some are in an easier spot. Lord, I pray however we came into this room that you would meet us here, that you would remind us afresh of your goodness and power, of your love for us. Lord, that you would help us as we look back at these people of faith, that you would help us to get perspective on our lives today, we pray. God, I pray you would guard my words. I pray they would be words that honor you. Um, Help each of us, Lord, uh, to discern as we listen, uh, to take the good and to apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray, too, that you would give us not merely ears that want to hear or hearts that want to receive, but hands and feet that want to put these things into practice as we open your word today. We pray these things because your son Jesus gave his life for us. You hear our prayers through Christ. And it's in his beautiful, powerful, wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Um, It's a little bit of a rhetorical question and kind of an obvious question. But uh, raise your hand if you've had to change plans on anything in the last few years, right? Anybody have to make any adjustments, right? Okay. Um, If you, you know, if you're here today, you're probably raising your hand. Um, The last few years, one of the abiding realities that I've experienced is all the stuff I thought I was going to do and thought for sure I knew that we would get to do, it all kind of got thrown up there on the table, didn't it? And we had to replan. Matt was telling me about a trip to Israel that he went on that was planned for 2020, which is kind of a thing to smile at, right? I can't imagine what it would have been like to go on a trip to Israel in 2020. It would have been emptier. That would have been one thing. Uh, But that trip didn't happen. And then it didn't happen the next year. And then it didn't happen the next year. Terry and I just went on a trip to Israel that some other people planned. And it didn't happen in 2020. And then they tried to plan it again in 21. It didn't happen in 2021. And then joyfully, we got to go because it got delayed. So sometimes the, sometimes the messed up plans are even a little better. Um, some people have canceled trips in this room. Uh, certainly events were hurt. Some people had weddings that were so different from any wedding they ever imagined. Reunions, ceremonies, uh, graduations, even your pastoral transition right? Happened right in the middle of this adventure. We've been rescheduling. We've been scaling down. We've been shifting. We're told, um, there's a phrase that I like, I used to like because it felt like hope. And now I dislike it. It's the new normal in this phrase. Like, boy, in 2020, that sounded like a great phrase. Like, oh, we're going to get to a new normal. It's going to be good. I'm not a fan. I'm not enjoying the new normal with all these changes. I don't know if, if you are, you could explain to me what's good about it. Um, it's been, it's better than, than it was. I will grant that, but not a ton. These days for me have been hard to find perspective, hard to get, uh, centered, hard to know if I'm feeling rightly about the things I'm experiencing. Now, if you have your Bibles, there's a passage in the scriptures that I think as good as any passage I know can give us perspective on these last few years and help us think about what's essential in these years ahead. And it's Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look through it together. And as we, as we do, we're going to see that we're not the first people to experience things like this. We're not alone as we experience like, things like this, and we can move uh, forward by faith as we go through seasons like this. That's what we'll see as we look at Hebrews 11 today. I want to do two really simple things. One is I want to walk you through this passage. And it's a long chapter filled with names and people and places. And I want to invite you, before we get to that place where we think about what does this have to do with us, 
I want to invite you in the first section of this sermon to really try, if you can, to put yourself in their place. Try to imagine what it would have felt like, what they would have been experiencing. Try to enter their world for a little bit before we ask what can their world do for us as we engage in our world. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 11, and we are going to begin by looking at uh, the first seven verses. I'm going to read it chunk by chunk as we go along. And the beginning starts with Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Look down at your Bibles with me. Try to put yourself in their place. It says this, verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So as we're hearing this passage, we're invited to look back at these three first people, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And we're told Abel had an acceptable sacrifice and he had this jealous brother, if you remember the story. If you remember the story, and his brother ends up killing him. He ends up killing him, if you remember the story. Imagine what that experience would have been like to have had these offerings, to be there before God and then have a brother turn on you. Or then we think about Enoch. There's not much said about him. But imagine life won't be hard to imagine, in an increasingly wicked age, so much so that he was uniquely standing out for his holiness, a blameless life, a life that pleased God in the midst of a broken world. And then we see Noah in an age so wicked that that God tells him to build an ark and to put animals and his family in it. And there's a flood coming that's going to destroy the world. And Noah does that, he builds the ark, and then imagine that you're remembered in the Bible as a person whose story condemns the world, right? And that you survived through this rescue. That's the beginning of this passage in Hebrews, but it continues, it continues. Let me read the next section for you. It's Abraham, it's Sarah, it's Isaac, and the brothers. Look down at your Bibles with me, starting in verse eight. It says this, this theme continues, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he went out to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and, who he, re- and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus and the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Think about these stories. Think for a second. Try to imagine I was just in the Middle East and and we hear that Abraham and Sarah went on this long walk to a new place. And to be in that land and see what that walk was really like was just amazing. This, This call to go out to a new place from where they were walking hundreds and hundreds of miles to get to this new land. And then they get to this place and they're told they're gonna have children when they're, well, much older than Terry and me, Right? And, uh, and, and, and Sarah laughs, and, and there's, or it's, it's just humorous the way they think about it, this, this life that they're trying to do together, this difficult challenge that they were facing. And then imagine, this was part of the trip we got to do, I imagine you guys did too, where you think about what it would be like for Abraham to be asked to sacrifice his son. And he takes him up to this mountain, and they go there together, and they have everything but the offering and the son and the father probably both know what's going on, right? Probably not, you don't get to be naive and live in that land. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what it would do to your relationship? I've often wondered. Can you imagine what the confidence you would have in God would be like after you experience that? And then you go on to the sons, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we don't see a ton about their stories here. We don't see a ton about it. But imagine, for example, if you're Jacob and you have this bitter rivalry with your brother about your inheritance. Or imagine you're Joseph, if you know the Bible story. Joseph sold into really slavery in Egypt, right? And he raises up to this position of influence. And then he's able to welcome his family into Egypt and really rescue them. And imagine that had been the trajectory of your life. There were times during these last years where I was, I was thinking it was too hard. 
seeing this passage and hearing these stories helps me remember that there are others, right? There are others who have been through difficult times too. Let's keep moving forward in Hebrews 11. Look down at your Bibles. Let's consider Moses and the many difficulties that he faced. Really everything but the thing we just experienced. Let me start in verse 23. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, or once grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he uh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 24, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Think about Moses' story. He was born in a country not his own, under the threat of death. He's adopted into the royal house. Exodus tells the story of how he stepped away from that life that life of wealth and opulence and everything, and he chose instead mistreatment with the people of God. This passage, in a way I don't fully understand, says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ. This is a thousand years, more than a thousand years, before Jesus. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. What a wonder it is to think about that. You think about Moses' story of going out and then coming back. You think about the plagues that Moses had to be a part of and endure and see. And then you see this, this mentioning of the Passover. You imagine being in a situation where God was bringing judgment to the nation. That all the firstborn were going to be killed. And that you put blood over your doorpost as a signal for that not to happen. What an experience. What an experience that much to have been. What would it have felt like to be Moses? Then to leave, to cross the Red Sea, to head into the wilderness. You know, Terry and I on this trip we just went on, we spent some time in the wilderness um, in Israel. Uh, there's, you know how in the summer it's hard to find a place that's not green in Minnesota? I don't know if you've noticed this. It's very, very green here. I come from the Southwest. It's been a little shocking how green it is. Um, in fact, I came from a state that struggled with water. And when I got here, I, I would call my friends. And I'd say, I've discovered the secret to Minnesota's wealth. They, they have more water than they know what to do with. It's just, there's so much here. Imagine what it'd be like to leave that Egypt world behind, to cross the Red Sea, and then go into a desert where it's hard to find a plant. Where, where every once in a while you'll see these little springs and the rest of it feels like barren wasteland. And then there's this big, there's an ocean, the Dead Sea, that's, that's water you couldn't drink. What a place it must have been. What a difficult life. Wrapping up this passage, we're gonna look at two more things I just wanna show you before we move on. Let's look at uh, Jericho and Rahab. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 29, or verse 30 actually. Uh, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish uh, with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
You know, these people who are wandering in the desert, wandering, wandering, they're now led by Joshua. Um, They come to this place of Jericho. There's this uh, battle that they're gonna experience. You remember the story. They walk around seven times. God brings them victory. And then in the midst of this mess, there's this woman, Rahab, who's living a broken life, who's powerless in her situation. And she is a part of this situation where she welcomes these spies into the city, a part of the overthrow of the city. It's a, it's a terrible experience she has, troubling, difficult, and desperate. And then this chapter ends that we've looked at um, with just, just almost like a tidal wave of people to remember who go before us, who have lived by faith, and who have experienced things that are challenging. Hear these words. Imagine their situations. It says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, They went about in skins of sheep and of goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had something better for us, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. As we close this sort of looking back, just Think about these things. Listen to their names. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Think of their list of troubles. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They're strong out of weakness. They're mighty in war. war. They put armies to flight. Uh, Women received back their dead by resurrection. They were tortured, suffered mocking. They were flogged. They had chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword. They were wearing the skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were mistreated, it says. Listen to the places they lived. They were wandering. They were in deserts and mountains. They were in dens and caves of the earth. There's this fitting phrase, men and women of whom the world is just not worthy. Um, that's a, now, that's a, that's a long chapter. It's filled with quite a bit. And I hope as you've listened, you were able to imagine what it would be like to be Abraham or Sarah, what it would be like to be Abel or Enoch, what it would be like to be Moses or, or Rahab, what it would be like to be Gideon, Barak, and so on and so it goes. The reason that we read this passage today is to help give us perspective on today on today, and that's what I want to do with the remaining time that I have, is I want to invite you to consider um, some conclusions we might draw about faithful living today related to what we've just heard. And I want to suggest three, though I think there are more. And these are, are honestly, and they're in ascending order of importance. So I'm going to start with the least important part, and I'm going to move to the most important part of the things that this passage can tell us. And the first is this, Hebrews 11 
I believe, reminds us that we are not the first to face difficulty, discouragement, or disruption, even though it sometimes feels that way. Hasn't it been tempting to think that we're the first to face such a hard time, right, over these last couple years, that no one has ever gone through something like this, uh, to, to mutter words like unprecedented, unfair, unbearable? I've, I've, I remember I, we had big plans in 2020. Uh, we were about to launch a foundation to give churches money for mission. And we were like, like six weeks away from launching it. And then uh, everything shut down. And I, I don't know if you had it, we like hung up in our wall. It became kind of a joke. Uh, remember it was 15 days to slow the spread, right? These have been the longest 15 days of my life, bar none, right? And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, you know what? That conference isn't happening. Like we're canceling that thing. Um, and we're delaying all these plans. And they kept getting delayed and kept getting delayed. And I remember thinking, uh, boy, I bet nobody's ever had to face something like this. And then I remember, you know, and then I cracked my Bible open. And I happened on this passage in Hebrews. And I was reminded, you know what? Not the hardest thing any group of Christians has ever faced. Brothers and sisters, we're not the first to face tough times. Have you ever, as an illustration to make you smile and, and help you realize this, have you ever caught yourself complaining to somebody who has it much, much worse Right? One, of the, one of the great gifts or awkward moments in life. Um, picture a man, for example, who's complaining, complaining about a few aches and pains. I've, I have a lot of aches and pains. I'll do this right now. It'll be, oh, we'll practice. Um, I was a high school football player. I bear, the, I bear the marks of it. Imagine a man who is complaining like that to somebody who's dying of end-stage cancer. That happens in our culture, right? It's, it's, um, it's ironic. It's ironic. Imagine a businessman I talked to tons of business leaders who talked about how hard it was. Imagine a businessman complaining about the negative impact on his salary to his secretary, right? That happens in real time in this life. Um, uh, imagine this. I remember this um, when my son was going through college. My son's a hardworking kid, but he would complain about how hard he had it in college, how hard his homework was, and I was just thinking... I've got a lot of hard homework too, Samuel, you know, and, and it, just, it just rang so hollow. Or put it, or just to give you perfect perspective, imagine Moses was sitting here with us today and we were trying to explain how hard the last couple of years have been. And like Moses, they wouldn't let us meet in person for a while. Oh, and, and Moses, we had to wear masks everywhere. It was the worst. Can you imagine? What, Moses, our flights got canceled and they didn't refund them. You know, even think about those kind of things in comparison to Moses, who was born in a country not his own, who had all the wealth of the world at his fingertips and turned away from it, who went wandering and wandering, in fact, spent the rest of his life wandering, right? Who saw terrible, terrible judgment from God as vindication and evidence that he could trust God. You know, we're like, we are, sadly, often like the people who share about their aches and pains with the cancer patient or the high-paid executive who shares about the struggles of finances with the secretary. We are like that. And can I just remind you here at the beginning um, as we think about how to apply this, because the new normal is not a picnic, right? It's, it's not the funnest time I've ever had. But when compared to what God's people at all times and all places have got through, gone through, we have a lighter than average load. We have, it's not to belittle the difficulties we face. Everyone's difficulties are real, 
you know, Terry and I came to Minnesota from the central coast of California. You know, we lived about nine blocks from the sea. And people in that community had a lot of means. You didn't get to live there unless you had a lot of means. And uh, I'll tell you, some of the saddest stories I ever heard were in those million-dollar homes when people had climbed all the way up the affluence ladder and they discovered there was nothing there. There was nothing there. Their hurt was real. But like our hurt, when put in perspective, was not as large as they often thought it was. That's the first thing I want to invite you to consider, that that, uh, we are not the first to face tough times. Second thing is like it. Second thing I want to put before you is this. Um, When things fall apart, we must remember that we're not alone. Rather, we are surrounded, past and present, by people who put their hope in God. Remember all those names? Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, dot, dot, dot. Um, Think, too, of the people in this congregation, the people you know around you. One of the great joys of my life is all of the brothers and sisters in Christ I get to serve alongside are such a reminder to me that when I face tough times, I am not alone. When I became a Christian, I knew it was about rescue. I knew it was about what Matt suggested, which was that my sins were numerous and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. What I didn't know is I was going to get to be part of such a big family. I had no idea that conversion to Christ was not only about rescue, but it was also about adoption into a family of people who have been rescued. You know, my job's a strange job. I, get to, I travel all over the place, and you know what I'm doing all the time? I'm meeting your brothers and sisters. I'm meeting them. The Bible says that the, that the, the, the redemption that we have in Christ creates a stronger family bond than the, than the biological bond that I even have with my own biological family. It's through the gospel that we get connected to people in ways. And, and hasn't, haven't these last couple of years pressured that? Christians have kind of struggled to stay together, haven't we? Right? You know why it's so important that we get back together? It's not that our organizations need it so that they'll work well. It's not, it's not even just because it's right. We are family. Anyone who puts their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is a sibling with anyone else who has put their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to live together forever. And forever is a long time. We should like each other while we do it, right? And we're going to, I have confidence, like I'll grow all those mean and hurtful things I thought about you, I'll repent of them, you know, and we'll we'll come back together and the same for you, right? Brothers and sisters need to come together. We are not alone. We're not alone. Do you remember... um, the devastation that our, experience, our city experienced during the unrest of 2020. I do. I'll never forget. One of the loneliest days of my life. Uh, we had a, a downtown office, like right in downtown, a block from the Viking Stadium. And for a couple of days there, we didn't go downtown. It wasn't safe to go downtown. Um, couldn't drive downtown. And I remember about four days later, I drove back in and I just saw just, just bedlam everywhere. Just stuff was torn up all kinds of hateful messages up on walls. Um, it was heartbreaking. I remember the, the moment, the, the lowest moment for me in that drive, I drove by Children's Hospital downtown, Minnesota Children's, and it was boarded up 20 feet high with kids in it, like a boarded up hospital with kids in it. That's the only way to keep them safe. And I just remember feeling so low and lonely. And then I got to my office, and you know who was there? It's the team I work with. And we, and we all kind of met there. And you know what we did? We just talked. 
and we encouraged one another, and we wept for our city, and we prayed for our city, and we reminded each other afresh that, that our relationships were durable, eternal, unbreakable in Jesus Christ. Reflect on that for just a second. I, I, I come from a non-Christian family. They have yet to put their hope in Jesus, and I am praying and trying. But the emotional experience of the pandemic for me was a little different. Um, and part of it, a large part of it, was this beautiful fact that I am surrounded, surrounded by people of faith, past and present. Like one day, one day Matt and me and Moses are going to get to hang out and talk that thing through, right? What is that going to be like? And one day we'll laugh. I'll laugh about 2020. Like my little joke about how much harder Moses had will be really true. It'll be really true. It'll be bright and burning and beautiful because I'm not alone. We are not alone. It's the second thing. So we're not the first. We didn't set any records. We have not made any precedents. We are not alone. We are inseparably surrounded by the people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, past and present, who witness to us. They're not cheering us on. They're telling us, you can trust Jesus. You can trust him. You can trust him. And that leads to the final thing that this passage tells us, and it's the big thing, and anybody who opens Hebrews 11 and doesn't mention this thing has missed the main point of the thing. The main point of Hebrews 11 is this. Living by faith is essential. It's essential at times like this. Over and again, over and again, this is the message of Hebrews 11. Faith is, a faith, remember, faith is about trusting. It's about putting our hope in, in God. It's about believing in Christ. It's about uh, confidence in him, dependence on him. It means, well, in verse one, it means trusting God when we cannot see the outcome. When we cannot see what's gonna happen, that's what faith is. In verse six, it means drawing near to God through adversity and disappointment and difficulty and difficulty. It includes in this passage things like Noah's reverence. Imagine the amount of confidence you'd have to have in God to buy that, to believe that, to say, okay, I'm gonna start building the boat. Noah's reverence for God. It includes Abraham's obedience. What's the farthest you've ever walked? Abraham has you, like he's destroying you. He's walked so much farther. He's, he left it behind. He went to a promised land. It includes Sarah's trust. Sarah's trust. She had a child when her husband was described as almost dead, right? Like imagine that's your epitaph in the Bible. Like him as good as dead, and that's the dad in that particular scenario. But she trusted him. And Moses' understanding, look at verses 25 and 26 again, his understanding of true riches, of true riches. Imagine having everything and deciding something was far, far better. Now Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we should do that. Moses did it. He actually did it. He turned his back on all the wealth of everything that could be, the whole wide known world, and said, no thanks, God is better. Even reproach from Jesus, far, far better than that. Faith, in this passage, looks forward to things not seen. 
in verse one. It looks forward to a future reward in verse six. It looks forward to a city built by God in verse 10. It looks forward to a homeland in verse 14, a better country, a heavenly one in verse 16. In verse 40, something better in Jesus Christ. That is what it means to believe, to live by faith, to walk by him. And it includes, if you look at the next chapter, a firm focus on Jesus and a clear call not to grow weary. Not to grow weary. Hebrews 12 is a response to Hebrews 11. And it says, consider him who endured such hardship. Why? So you don't grow weary and lose heart. And my goodness, 2022 is a year where I'm struggling not to grow weary and lose heart. It's actually, ironically, this year has been harder for me to not grow weary and not lose heart than 2020 was. And, I'm, I'm, and honestly, I'm trying to figure that out. I can't quite figure it out, though I will put in a word for church leaders here. Um, as things have gotten a little easier uh, for churches over, these last, over the last year, I've noticed a trend that's pretty consistent in that as they've gotten easier for church leaders, it's gotten a little harder not to grow weary. And it's strange because you would think, oh, things are getting a little easier. But most of us, and I felt this at least, um, I didn't have the option of falling apart during the pandemic. It just wasn't, it wasn't a viable choice. Like I had too much to do. Um, But now that like it seems like I could fall apart and people might be okay, it's an attractive opportunity. Like it looks like, oh, maybe I should try that. Um, And I'm not really going to do that. But I think part of, I'm just noticing it across the board for pastors and church leaders. um, That as we climb out, they're realizing, oh, that that was harder on me than I thought it was. Um, So if you're looking to apply this sermon in one way, uh, be kind one to another, especially to your pastor, is not a terrible way to take this sermon, um, though that wasn't a paid advertisement or a comment in any way like that. So back to our list. Let me just kind of put it up there one more time for you as I conclude. Um, As we've looked at this passage, I think you should take away from it suggestion that you're not the first to face tough times. That's true today and it'll be true in the future when you face tough times. Another thing I think you should take away, in fact, you should celebrate all the more, is that you are surrounded, encapsulated, enclosed. If you put your hope in Jesus, an unbreakable family, even when it bends and fractures. And then finally, the most important message is if you're wondering what's going to get you through uh, in the days ahead, Uh, Will it be skill? Uh, Will it be resources? Will it be when things get better, then I'll be okay? Uh, The author of Hebrews is trying to make the point. It's faith. It's dependence on God. It's trust in Christ. It's confidence in the Holy Spirit. It's, It's this belief that as you look forward, there is a better country a coming. It is a new city that will be built. There is a heavenly dwelling that is going to be for us that we can trust in and that we can hope in and that we can believe in. Because we're in the middle of it. It is, it's a new normal. It's a new normal. Um, and in the middle of that, I want to invite you, brothers and sisters, together with your family of churches, to be people of faith who hold out the gospel, who believe it, who walk in it into this new normal. Because uh, one day... One day, there's a real new normal coming. If you flip to the end of the book, uh, Jesus is returning. Uh, He's coming to rebuild and restore finally 
And one day there will be a, a holy city, a new Jerusalem, where righteousness dwells, where God lives in the midst of her. And you and I are there, and anybody who hopes in Jesus will be there. And uh, it will be the kind of normal that we never, ever want to end. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you afresh for the reminder that this passage has been for me, um, that I'm not the first to face tough times, that I'm not alone when I experience them, and that you call me and offer to me a life of faith, of trusting in Christ, of dependence on the Spirit, of closeness with the Father um, through Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray for these brothers and sisters, uh, for Terry and me too. Lord, I pray we would walk by faith. I pray we would uh, trust as our, as our go-to, uh, that our hope would be refreshed and restored, um, and that in the midst of this still groaning world, uh, that we would find fresh joy in you as we think about your people and how they've walked with you and try to emulate their actions and try to be spurred on by their witness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.